So I've been uh, recording talks and uh, going through a series. And, you know, I, I do this kind of once a year, but each year I kind of take on a new little challenge. And uh, this year I've been just kind of uh, unpacking what's called wise view, the first step of the Eightfold Path. And then over the last few weeks, I've kind of been breaking that down a little bit. Last week I talked about karma and this kind of uh, over maybe utilized but not very understood. But it is pretty simple. Uh, Causality. Karma is causality. The that which arises passes away. The that which conditions this moment is also con- and the way that we um, uh, the way that we uh, respond to this moment is conditioning the next moment. What I call karmic momentum, kind of like the building of a wave. Right, it takes this energetic movement through water that just plays itself out. And sometimes it's, you know, tsunamis, and sometimes it's just a little ripple that laps the shore, however big that energy is. So where we left last week is around this discussion between uh, karma and rebirth. Now, it's a very difficult topic, this idea of rebirth. What I left off by saying is that uh, rebirth is not reincarnation. It's not transmigration of the soul. Um, Yeah, I think those are the two main ways. It's not uh, this idea... From the Buddhist perspective, which is what I'm charged with giving, is the Buddhist perspective. Specifically, the Theravadan Buddhist perspective. In other words, the word Theravadan means path of the elders. So this uh, kind of original teachings of the historical Buddha, 2,558 years ago. And how that has been passed down from generation to generation. So as a teacher, I actually was called out one time, not just me. There was a group of us Western teachers that were called out that if you're going to teach Buddhism, you have to teach about rebirth. Otherwise, you're uh, only giving part of the teaching. So, all right. Because this part of wise view, wise view from the Buddhist perspective means seeing clearly that which is true. So we, as I've been talking about, we have to come into uh, practice with some amount of clarity around at least the first noble truth, that there is suffering. We've at least know that, we've experienced it firsthand to ourselves on some level. So then, (coughs) the second noble truth is that there is a cause to that suffering, 
which generally uh, can be considered selfish and self-centered craving. So, suffering, the cause of suffering. Oftentimes we come to practice, we have no idea about the cause of suffering because really we're just pointing the finger. Usually it's the world that is the problem. Why can't we just be happy and have you know good thoughts all the time? Well, because karma is at play. So, by the way, let me just kind of back up for those of you who weren't here last week. The word karma means action. It actually just means the translation of karma is action. And then another way to look at it is work. So there's it, transit, one translation is karma is action. So this kind of momentum, as I'm acting in the world, the reproduction, the children of my intentions, this is another way it's talked about. Parents and children. So generation after generation. My intention or the intention leads to thought. Thought is the children of our intention. Those children mature and then have children. That is action. Karma. And the, the way that that, can, that cycle continues to play itself out. Generation after generation. Is just some, that's one way of just talking about rebirth right there. So I'll get back. Yeah, action and then work. Oh, so yeah, the other piece is the work to be done. So that means, okay, whatever parents and children, multiple generations of crap that has now led to this moment, or it could not be crap, right? It could be super great momentum. That has led to this moment. And then the work to be done is however it plays out in the heart, in the mind, in the world, in my world, in, in what I'm calling reality. How I deal with that, how I uh, uh, confront that or avoid that is the seed for the new action. right? The, the, and so this is the karmic momentum. We get that? The understanding of that? So I like to think about it as karma is action, the action that has been done. Thought, word, or action really is a lot of what it's talked about. And then the work to be done has to do with past karma, which we, don't, we can't even know. And just don't even try to figure it out. You're having a bad day. It's not because you yelled at someone on the phone or this happened or that happened. You actually don't know. We can't know. On some level, right? all that we can do is a, is approach it and deal with it and uh, work with it as it is. The work to be done. All right. Let me just. Uh, I'll open up for questions at the end. By the way, not that I have any answers about rebirth, but I'll, <laughs> well, uh, you know, I'll do my I'll do my part. <clears throat> I wanted to just read this because it's one of my favorite. It's another. It's a it's similar to what I actually talked about last week. Um, it has to do with ox and carts and, you know, wheels. So, we are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world speak or act with an impure mind, and trouble will follow you, 
as the wheel follows the ox that draws the cart. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts we make the world speak or act with a pure mind. And happiness will follow you as your shadow unshakable. How can a troubled mind understand the way? Your worst enemy cannot harm you as much as your own thoughts unguarded. But once mastered, no one can help you as much, not even your father or your mother. So this is different, slightly different. It's a different kind of a translation. Um, but that idea of that the, the, we are the heir of our karma, just as the wheel of the cart follows the ox. follows the track of the ox. In the same way, we are linked. And in the same way, rebirth and karma are linked. Because what gets reborn? So let's just break that down for a second, okay? So if there's no soul in Buddhism, I mean, from the Buddhist perspective, this word anicca, no, the word anatta, (laughs) that's the one, means uh, no fixed or permanent anything. Okay, so let's just start there. This is one of the basic tenets of Buddhism. And you don't have to believe it, actually. This is the other thing I love about Buddhism. You don't have to believe anything I'm saying at all. You can just be like, whatever. I just like to meditate, and that's fine. Meditation is still helpful. Even You don't have to believe this. That this is wise view. Wise view is uh, progressive, some would say. Right. I talked about last week... Um, the understanding of karma or this, some of these concepts is like going to a foreign country where you don't understand the language and then you slowly start to pick up if you really pay attention, right? And you kind of you have to work at it. Have you ever been there? Like I went to Indonesia, never been anywhere on the planet, didn't know anything about Indonesia and I was like lost. And I was in places that people did not, but I had to like pay attention. Okay, looking at body language, uh, listening to certain tones, repeating certain phrases to people, and then they'd say like, yeah, they'd be encouraging. The same way is true about when we become clear about something. Wise view is about understanding, learning, learning a new language. The Dharma, the language of the Dharma. The language of the heart. Somebody wrote that once, I think. All right. So, before we can really get into rebirth, we have to talk about what is being reborn. Especially if there's this teaching of anatta. And I like this, um, this kind of way that one of, my, uh, one of the people that I studied, I think this actually came from uh, Tom Jeff, Tanasaru Bhikkhu writes it like this. Although we imagine ourselves to be a self, a real substantial individual, according to the Buddhist teachings, we are in reality nothing more than a flame-like process, an ever-changing combination of mind and matter, matter and mind, neither of which is the same for two consecutive moments. And if you think about how fast thoughts come through our mind, way faster than we can even... And this light appears solid. 
But it's really existing and passing away, you know, being born again and again and again into each moment, each moment, each moment. And we trick ourselves into believing that things are solid when they're not. I'm not going to even get into that whole, like, you know, corks and whatever the smallest molecule kind of thing is. But it's not solid. That's the reality. <laughs> right? But nothing is solid. So uh, the, the teaching of anatta, there is no fixed and permanent anything. Okay, so then what's this rebirth all about? Karma, which is not fixed and not permanent, is reborn. What does that mean? This is a very hard concept. Okay. The way that I think about it is like this. I don't even know if I'm right, okay? But I'm going to just put it out there. This is the way I think about it. I think about it like the water cycle. You know our cycle on this planet, that water moves, changes form, ice, turns to mist, turns to liquid, then turns to mist again then can rise up, turn to ice, and this, this constantly sh- changing form. And actually, I don't know if you guys know this or not, I learned this from someone that like studies water, I guess, that, that, that was their kind of deal. And uh, that there's no new water on this planet. That water, the water that we have on this planet is the water that we've always had, and it's not going anywhere. And so... It's constantly being transformed. Right? Life energy can be considered kind of the same way. I think it was like earth science in seventh grade. I learned about that water cycle, right? This is the way that karma is thought of. That it's, getting, it's changing form and it's moving. And it's not my karma. It's karma. And so this way, it's not personal, but we tend to personalize it. And so the momentum of this life, at the end of this physical form from the Buddhist perspective, now believe it or don't believe it, what happens is that as one energy, energetic life form passes away, karma moves into another life form, another like the way water goes from mist to liquid, from liquid to ice. And who knows? Like whether, okay, we can, let's, let's take this water thing a little further. What if it's, there's a purification, there's a water purification that takes place. Uh, then there's some kind of process of purification. So the more purified water, maybe the better, Right? Okay, so that's kind of one way of thinking about it. Does that make sense at all? Right. Makes some sense to me. And then the other thing I think about is the elements. Okay, because we have what? How many elements do we have here on this planet? Four, five, right? We have earth element. We have water element. We have fire element. What else? Wind what else? Middle. Huh? Middle. What? what is that? Like Middle Earth? 
No, metal. 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 Oh, metal. Mineral. Mineral. Okay, got it. But that's generally earth, what we're calling earth. So uh, from the Buddhist perspective, there's also the uh, space. That space is an element. And that's all that there is on this, on this planet. And if we're from this planet, which it seems like we are, because when we die, we tend to turn back into that, those elements. Right? Just like plants and flowers and everything else that is material. So this is uh, uh, this is where it gets a little tricky because depending on our karma from the Buddhist perspective, uh, we or the karma will not us really. We have to stop saying that, right? Even myself uh, will express itself based on. Um, the kind of purification that's taken place within this life. So we are the vehicles of karma for this life, and then somebody else or something else will be the vehicles of karma for the next life. And uh, it's our job to, in some ways, uh, purify as much karmic momentum as possible. But that's, in, in essence, what we're, what we're trying to do here. And then depending on that, there's this whole deal about planes of existence where there's like there's heavenly realms and there is earthly realms and there is animal realms and it's a trip, right? Cosmology, okay? You can pretty much find that in any religion. So this is the piece where the Buddha, he did talk about this. But he didn't talk about it much. And one of the reasons why he didn't talk about it much is because people would get caught up on it. Because we like to figure things out. That's kind of the, the beauty of having this uh, brain. Right? We like to try to figure things out. And the Buddha was actually like, that's not the point. So people would ask the Buddha, is there a God or is there not a God? Now, the Buddha, uh, being raised in a Hindu uh, religious life, right? Um, was taught a ver the very specific kind of structure of the Hindu structure, which he rebelled against. And he rebelled in several ways. One of the ways he rebelled is by this Anatta teaching, because um, from the Hindu perspective and many Western uh, theistic perspectives, there is a soul, and that soul, um, when you die, finds expression somewhere else. It is, you are re, you you will be reborn, depending on your actions. So you know, it's like some somewhat similar to what the Buddha was saying, but the Buddha uh, rejected the idea of soul and said and rejected the idea that there is an overseer, <laughs> creator, judging whether or not you will go here or there, or be reborn. From the Buddhist perspective does not exist. That the law of karma is the expression and there's no judge or jury about it. It just is. So back to this. Um, here, I'll actually read this part. This is from Bhikkhu Bodhi. 
It's uh, the, the Noble Eightfold Path. It's a great little study book. I read this last week. Right view. This is a, a teaching from the Buddha, and it comes from this idea of right view. <clears throat> uh, so literally the name of right view is ownership or the, the karma, ownership of action. So we need to own our actions in this world. That's what's being pointed to. This is what really all of Buddhism is being pointed to. Own your actions and then stop attaching to them and let them go. Own it so that you're not going to be blind and ignorant, right? And then find freedom, find wisdom through the letting go of that. I think that's pretty damn helpful. So, beings are the owners of their actions, the heirs of their actions. They spring from their actions, um, are bound to their actions, and are supported by their actions. Whatever deeds they do, good or bad, of those they shall be the heirs. So this is back to that concept of parents and children again. So if intention is our children and those children mature into parents and then have children right then they the this is the concept of uh intention thoughts so thoughts are the children of intention and then the action is the children of thought and then so on and so forth, generation after generation. And so they're building this kind of momentum. So a lot of uh, a lot of this. Um, oh, I didn't bring my other book. This a lot of this teaching points to. So watch your thoughts with care. Watch your intentions, because oftentimes uh, when we're not mindful, when we're not aware of what's happening within us and around us then we just are acting out of this kind of uh, non-intentional. It's intentional, but we're not aware of it. So we're lacking in awareness, and we're just acting and reacting without any thought and building consequences, building uh, momentum. Then five years down, and I mean, I, you know, I talked last week about how I had some of this in my own life. Just all of a sudden, like, wham, got whacked with, some pretty heavy, what felt like heavy emotional, situational karma that I had nothing that I could do about it besides just kind of hunker down, just bear it. The work to be done. And I really, I re, what, what happened is I really deepened my practice. I really deepened my ability to sit with that which is uncomfortable. That's a lot of what this practice is. Sitting, learning to sit with that which is uncomfortable. Because there's going to be lots of uncomfortable. And we kind of have a choice. Do what you've been doing, or try something different. (laughs) Now, let me just back up. (coughs) 20 years ago when I started meditating, I just wanted to feel good, you know. And I actually felt a little bit ashamed about meditating 20 years ago. I was like, oh man. You know, like I said earlier, the hippies. I'm going to be one of them. 
There used to be this clan of people called the Red People in Santa Cruz, and they all have like those, you know, uh, I don't know, beaded kind of necklaces with their uh, <coughs> teacher on them. And I was like, oh, if I start meditating, I'm going to be like one of those people. <laughs> and I, but I kept going. <laughs> I kept meditating. You know, on and off. But I didn't know anything about this kind of karma and rebirth. And, and you know, uh, meditation was helpful, like I said. Let me just finish this uh, back to this. All, all the components of our being are impermanent. So just think about that. For All components of our being are impermanent. This is uh, the teaching from, that Buddha, from the Buddha saying nothing lasts. Right? All beings, all components of our beings are impermanent, unsatisfactory, and devoid of self. Life is not a being, an identity, and a becoming. Not a product, but a process. There is, in actuality, no doer, only a doing. No thinker, only a thinking. No goer, only a going. So I remember when I first read that, and it felt really freeing to me. It felt really freeing to me. This idea of, okay, we're the owners of our actions, but yet, what is there? Who's the owner, really? You know, the owner is how are we moving into the next moment? What can we do in the next moment? It's like that, that past moment is gone. So how can we live right now? How can we actually deal with the cards that we have in our hand? Not what we've been dealt. Not what the last hand was. Not what the next hand is. This hand right now. So the Buddha realized for himself the nature of life and through this realization uh, attained to something beyond life and death. A reality that is permanent, blissful, and deathless. So this is deathless is the way of describing Nibbana. Freedom from self. Freedom from suffering. Huh, it's interesting. I said freedom from self. Because that's kind of what we're talking about. right? So a reality that is permanent, blissful, and deathless. This State cannot be described, but has to be realized inwardly as a matter of direct personal experience. It has to be attained for oneself and by oneself. This ultimate reality where thought expires in experience is Nibbana, the goal of the Buddhist path. So we can talk about birth and rebirth and how it's not like transmigration or reincarnation. I'll give you the water cycle as an example, just to kind of get a concept around it, right? But again, it's like a language that we're just learning, you know, we're just starting to learn. We're just catching a few words of it and, make it, and it makes sense. And so the beautiful thing about right view is that it's the beginning of the path and it's the end of the path. And in the beginning, right view is understanding the Four Noble Truths. And, you know, hearing what I'm talking about right now. 
at the end of the path, uh, this all develops into what's called wisdom. Wisdom, clarity. But we don't know what we don't know. Was there something else? Okay. Oh, yeah. Here's another way I like to just think about rebirth. Because that's like the kind of, okay, I did my quota talking about rebirth from the Buddhist perspective because I have to or I'm not considered a Buddhist teacher. Uh, That's what Bhikkhu Bodhi said. He's a pretty uh, scholarly guy. So I took that. And I think it's helpful. Here's one of my favorite ways of talking about rebirth. And I'll just read. This is actually the, the second noble truth. Um, and the, transla- the translation is from Ajahnamuro. And it goes like this. This bhikkhus, meditators, this is the noble truth of the cause of suffering. It is that craving, compelling, intoxicating, which causes us to be born into things again and again, ever seeking fresh delight, now here, now there. It is namely the craving for sensual delight, the craving to be something, and the craving to feel nothing. So one of the ways I really like to just make sense of Buddhism for, or make sense of this rebirth karma concept <coughs> comes down to how many times within this life have I been born again and again into grasping, into wanting things to be different, into avoiding suffering? How many times has that kind of um, that compelling, intoxicating pull for sense pleasure caused me to be ignorant again and again? And uh, this this other the other way of looking at it to be something how much how many times has the desire to be something caused me suffering and how many times has the desire to feel nothing caused me suffering right. and so I like to think of rebirth in that way actually so not this like what happens when this body Dies because I think as much as that's like like I said necessary, who knows? You know we don't know. None of us really know. So I like to look at it instead of uh, how can I be free in this moment and not born again into suffering, not born again into ignorance, not born again into um, delusion. That that just feels much more uh, uh, alive. That feels much more uh, attainable to me. Was there something else I had? I don't remember if there was anything else. All right. So let's open up for questions. I think that's enough. You know, this idea of, of, oh, oh, no, there is one more thing, actually. And then, and then I'll open up for questions. Um, 
this idea, because I asked one of my core teachers, Ajahn Pasano, who is a monastic, but a monastic for over 30 years at this point, is a monk, is an abbot, uh, is well known in Thailand, was, is a student of Ajahn Chah, is an authority in Theravadan Buddhist uh, practice and study. So I asked him one time, I was up there, and I said, what's up with this karma thing? And can you tell me the link between karma and rebirth? Because I really, I need to understand it in a way. And he thought for a moment. He's a forest monk, by the way. So most of his analogies are in forest terms. And he said, uh, so imagine that there's a forest fire. Right? And there's this energy of the fire. And then a swift wind comes and picks up fire, actually. And this apparently wind can do this. Picks up fire and moves it to another location. And as soon as it makes contact, it starts a fire again. This is, the fire is the karma. And then the rebirth is the moment that it makes contact with material objects. So in that same way is the link between karma and rebirth. And I thought that was a pretty good explanation. And the other piece that I think is helpful is that the, and I think it links to what's called the deathless or Nibbana. The word Nibbana is a household word actually from Pali, this language Pali. And it just means extinguishing the flame. So in some sense, when we're done creating karma or when we've done the work that we're to do, the karmic work, then it's extinguishing the flame. So it's giving no further, there's no further karma to take, uh, to be reborn. So there's the ending of birth and death. Now what that really means, I don't really know. But this is the best that I feel like I can uh, explain to you. <clears throat> and like I said er- earlier, I, you know, the <clears throat> it's a very complicated topic, but I like to kind of take the juicy topics, you know, the ones that people don't want to talk about, sex and drugs, and birth, rebirth, karma. Because I think it's helpful to understand and it's also helpful... Helpful to hold lightly. Because the bottom line is that, is this meditation helpful? Is, you know, this is the, 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 one of the most well-known teachings of the Buddha here in the West. You know, it's the Kalama Sutta. Uh, if a practice is useful and helpful for you, not what it's said, not what's written in books, not what, you know, teachers say. If it's helpful for you, then take it on as a practice. If it's not helpful, disregard it. Because this is about your own liberation. Nobody else's. Now talking about rebirth, challenging. It actually wasn't that bad. <laughs> but beforehand I was like, how am I going to do this? And so, the reason why I think it's, it's challenging for me is because it's beyond my 
um, experience. It's out of what I can actually know. And so I'm really basing, like everything, almost everything I talked about tonight, is based on the, the, the teachings of the Buddha passed down. Some of it is my personal practical experience around karma and that, that kind of thing. But I tend to focus on how is this helpful here and now. Pragmatic, practical teachings. I believe that the Buddha was uh, very pragmatic. And he laid things out in a very simple way. And I also believe this is why he didn't talk too much about this. Because on some level, none of it matters. And on some level, it all really matters. So, what do you want to do? You could think about, pontificate, there's thousands of books written about it. But you have to ask yourself at some point, is this entangling? Is this actually causing suffering to try to grasp? Or am I rejecting all of the practice of meditation because I don't believe in this this rebirth thing. So you have to ask yourself that. Or is it more helpful to just keep working on the practice? This idea of more will be revealed. We don't know what we don't know. Try to understand uh, the language, the, the level that you're at. I just find that to be much more helpful for me. You know? Yeah. All right, so I'll open up for some... Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.